You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you're talking about all those personalities and you're trying to find that delicate balance of giving guys the, the keys to the kingdom or, or the freedom to play the way they're best at it, and then they can't handle that responsibility. I think that's what we're seeing in the NBA right now. Today's show is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. Roy's Umbrella for all of your home loan needs. Buying a new home, maybe doing a refi. Trust me, I've worked with Roy for years. He's awesome. And you know what else you're going to love? When you get to the end of the line, there's no tricks, there's no gimmicks, there's no hidden fees. Just go to roysumbrella.com for all of your home loan needs. That's roysumbrella.com. My guest today was on with me in my first Week of doing the podcast, if you don't like that. He played in the NBA for 11 years, many of those years with the uh, Sacramento Kings. He's now a real estate agent. I say hello to Scott Pollard. Sawadi Cup, Scott. Hey, Sawadi Cup. Uh, speaking <laughs> tie now, or are, you, are you working on your tie? Uh, I am working on my tie a little bit. Yes, I, absolutely. I'm, I'm learning the very important phrases. You know what I'm saying? Because you know, you got <laughs> the, to, that's all you need, the real important phrases, you know? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> it's like aloha. Yeah. You, know? you fly yeah. to Hawaii, you got to know aloha. And and you, you know what aloha means. Maybe you don't go. And you have to be respectful. You know, cop, coon, yeah. cop. You got to be able to say yeah. thank you, right? You know? Yeah. yeah. How are you doing, big boy? I'm doing great. You know, it's the, it's the slow time of year for real estate here in Indiana. Not a whole lot of people want to move and uproot their kids. You know, we're in the suburbs, so that's a factor. You know, things are popping a little bit here and there, and the market's going to look strong again this spring and, and this year. Uh, pretty much regardless of what's what's going on in the world, uh, this market has been crazy busy. A lot of people are changing how they want to live their lives based on, you know, being locked in the house with their family or do they want a, their own pool here in Indiana where you can use it for about five months a year or not even that, maybe three months a year. Um, so business has been good and, and uh, I'm really enjoying being a real estate agent. I can say, honestly, I should have done this years ago. It's, it's, I really enjoy it. You said crazy busy. I did my rant today on James Harden. You know, what a circus. You got Kyrie Irving. Who the hell knows where he is? You know, the guy just decides he doesn't want to play, takes off, doesn't even call the general manager or the coach. You got Harden, who was a, just a joke back in December, doesn't show up to camp. He's at a rapper's birthday party in Atlanta, no mask on, shows up overweight. Then the other night, basically throws everyone under the bus. And so Houston has no choice. They send him to Brooklyn. I mean, it, it just, it's, I got to tell you, Scott, it just it puts a real sour taste in my mouth. Well, you know, the the thing about NBA players, especially, not even especially, always, 
we, we've always had personalities, right? You have to have a strong personality to be one of the 450 best in the world at anything. And so we've always had unique personalities and, and there's a mixed match of egos. And, and to say that it's only current times that are like this, I would say is false. I would say that there's always been issues like this, but social media absolutely can add fuel to the fire that has always been there because there was just never this amount of attention and access to players' personal lives and them being on camera at a rapper's birthday party. You know, I'm sure Will Chamberlain was going to parties in the, in the 60s and 70s uh, in L.A., it's just that there wasn't a camera at all of them, so people could be like, oh, Wilt, Wilt came out tonight and only had 55 points, and he was at a party. He should have had 70, you know. So uh, I think that those things have always happened. But, yeah, I mean, it does put a bad taste in your mouth because you have to see all this. It's like it's like TMZ and Hollywood bad behavior more than the sport, which is why we're, we even know who these people are. And so I, as, as a former NBA player, yeah, I wish that there was more accountability. I wish there was more power by the franchises to be able to discipline, but they can't, they can't because it's, that's the biggest investment in, you know, like, like we always talk about who's going to get fired. If, if Kyrie doesn't play up to his top level and the team sucks, is it Kyrie? No, it's the head coach. You know, Steve Nash is going to be the one that ultimately loses his job when this team doesn't work out because they're going to be like, well, it starts at the top. Well, no, it doesn't. It starts with the biggest investment. You don't fire Peyton Manning when he doesn't win the Super Bowl. You fire the coach. You don't fire Tom Brady. You trade him to the Tampa Bay Brady's, and he goes down there and does well. The revenue wasn't there because of their outstanding abilities and their, and their incredible talent. Then, then the money wouldn't be there, and they wouldn't be getting these contracts. But they are getting these contracts. And, and so when, when the contract of a, of a star player is three or four times that of the head coach, you, you can't just unload him. Like, look at the Pacers right now. They just had to unload Victor Oladipo in that trade because he's the highest paid. Now they're under the threshold tax which in small markets, as you well know, cannot be over that tax because it's completely sure. punishing to the franchise. So, you know, they had to unload yet another guy to get the franchise, the keys to the franchise to, I think, undeservedly. I don't think Victor Oladipo is a superstar. I don't think he ever was going to be one, even before injury. And I don't think he was I, – I, you can tell. You know, he's had a couple flashes since, but then he has to take a day off. Like, whoa, something's wrong with that body post-injury. And I think the Pacers did a good job of getting out, getting him out of here for something as opposed to letting his contract expire. But it is, it's almost like a soap opera or a TMZ, like I was saying, sure. with knowing so much about everybody, everybody's yeah. personal life and what they're doing in their spare time. And it's easy to knock them because it's like, dude, you make $25 million a year. You can't just not go to a party. You can't wear a mask. You can't just show up to work, be ready to go and in shape. You know, as a common fan, you just sit there and go, whoa, whoa, why am I buying these tickets again? Yeah, but here's where I draw the line. Here's where I draw the line. And if, if, you're, in, if you're a player, you want to know that regardless of what's going on outside the locker room, you can count on that individual to be there when the ball is thrown up and help your team win. Now, you've played on a lot of different teams with a lot of different personalities. And I'm going to talk about Ron Artest for a minute. And I, I got to know Ron very well when he was traded to Sacramento. And I have the utmost respect for Ron, how I think he's come full circle and what he did for mental health and auctioning off his championship ring with the Lakers. Ron was a hell of a player, but he was very young when he was on Indiana with your team. And you didn't know if you could count on him every day. You see, to me, if I'm a player, that's what makes me... Uh, th- th- that would scare me and that would piss me off. I need to know that I can count on my teammates. Talk about that. Well, and, and I feel exactly the same way you do about Ron Artest. Everything you said, I completely agree with. I think Ron is an amazing human. Even when we were teammates and he was young, off the court, 
Ron was one of my favorite guys. And I haven't talked to him in years and years. So I didn't know he had auctioned off his, his championship ring. I think that's cool. You know, as long as it was for charity and not for his own it was for men- It was for mental health, for mental health awareness. Yeah. Right. So, and, and I saw one of his quotes recently that did piss me off to your exact point. He said, man, I wonder how good my career could have been when I, you know, did what I did because I refused to address my mental health. And at that time, you know, and I almost fired back because, uh, you know, I, it was a gut reaction, but I didn't. But I guess I'm firing back right now. You know, I, I wish that Ron had the had the, the wisdom and the, and the, the perspective now and that he has now back then, you know, because we were all sitting there. We can't depend on him. Is he going to show up today? Is he going to, to be normal Ron or is it going to be Ronnie? Uh, we called it Ronnie. When he'd come in, we'd just start going, uh-oh, tick, 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 because that was the clock until he got kicked out of practice or was kicked out of the game for fighting somebody or whatever. You know. And so we all, as, as a team, it was. It was like pins and needles or, or walking on eggshells or whatever you want to call it because we never knew which Ron was going to show up and potentially – Get, get us a win because of his incredible outstanding abilities or get kicked out of practice or get a technical foul and get kicked out of the game because of his temper or the other part that, that you know, he, he was feeling like antagonized all the time. And so it, it was frustrating. And I do believe that we would have won a championship here in Indiana had he not disappeared on us in the playoffs, which is one of those episodes that we, not a lot of people talk about, but he took the loss against, I think it was game five against the Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals like it was his fault, and we didn't see him again until we got into the locker room in Detroit for game six. 48 hours, we didn't see him. Not on the plane, not in the practice, not in shoot-around. And then game time, he's in the locker room and starts. And nobody and, and knew, so seriously, nobody knew where he was? Nobody knew where he was. We were all asking, like, and if, if management or the coaches knew, they didn't tell us because it was just all of a sudden we walk in the locker room to play the game, and he's like, hey, guys, like nothing had happened. And then he started, which I thought was a coaching issue. But, you know, hey, I love Rick Carlisle. Uh, I know I didn't like playing for him. I thought he made bad decisions at times. Uh, but I do love the guy. I think he's incredible. I think he's a hell of a lot better coach now than he was when he was playing for us or coaching for us. But, you know, the, you talk about the personalities. There's a lot of personalities that, that were on that basketball team because we were very talented. And so you had Jermaine O'Neal. You had the, the veteran Reggie Miller. You had... Jamal Tinsley and, you know, his New York mentality and Jamal, one of the best I've ever seen with a basketball and, and, and being able to see things that other people couldn't see, like Jason Williams, like, you know, some of the great passers like Magic Johnson, you know, Jamal Tinsley was a guy that had vision, but it was restricted by Rick Carlisle's system. And so if he come down and get two or three turnovers, Jamal didn't see the court again. And so, you know, when you're talking about all those personalities and you're trying to find that delicate balance of giving guys the, the keys to the kingdom or, or the freedom to play the way they're best at it, and then they can't handle that responsibility, I think that's what we're seeing in the NBA right now. You know, the microcosm of the Indiana Pacers in 03, 04, 05 is pl- kind of playing out on a, on a league-wide scale right now when you, guys got, when you have guys on different teams not showing up or refusing to play or saying it's this or that, you know. It, it, it's easy to, to laugh at, at some of the decisions, but, you know, when a guy like Tyree comes out years ago and says the earth is flat, you, you got to kind of start questioning his judgment from this sure. point forward. That guy's sure. been on airplane. <laughs> he obviously doesn't have a window seat. Yeah. I mean, he's been around <laughs> right. the world, the globe. He's literally traveled the globe. Right. And, and for him to come out and say that, and I had somebody try to defend him and say, oh, man, he's just joking with you. I'm like, okay, well, then where's the part where he goes, hey, I was kidding. 
You know, you never saw that part. And so, you know, there's been some statements that he's made. I think they're incredibly intelligent, too. So, you know, as somebody recently said, as you know, they're humans. We are. We're, we're, We're all humans. We have thoughts. We have feelings. We have political motivations or whatever you want to call that. But at the same time, uh, back to the social media, I don't want to hear them. I just want to watch you play basketball. And so I just, I don't, I don't care what you feel about this or that. I want to, I want to watch you play basketball, be entertained and then click it off and then talk about this or that. You were in a nice suit from Rogers fashions at the malice in the palace. You were hurt and you were not playing that game. What do you remember the most about the malice at the palace above all? What's the one thing that really is always ingrained in your head that you'll never forget? Uh, it was two things. One was one was serious and scary, uh, and the other one was was hilarious and, and sad. The the first one is is the fan that came running down down the stairs and onto the court, and you you saw it in his eyes as he looked up and saw Jermaine O'Neal and me standing clear pretty close to each other, and he he in his head you could see it him go, oh crap, they're bigger in person, and Jermaine cocked back and threw a haymaker at him and flipped on beer, and luckily for that man. Jermaine flipped on beer and missed him, missed his face and kind of grazed his chin barely and hit him square in the shoulder and still knocked him directly on his ass. (laughs) And I believe that man sued Jermaine for a lot of money. But it was scary because if he connects, that guy might not be alive. I mean, your 275-pound man going full strong haymaker is a deadly punch. It is. I don't care if you're trained in boxing or not, and that's why I don't hit people because I don't want to kill anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to cause anybody concussions. I'm not saying that I'm some badass fighter. I've never been in a fight, and that's part of the reason why. Because I know what it feels like to have a giant go at you. My brothers were bigger than me growing up. Three of them still are. And, and I know what it feels like to have a giant come at you and not be able to do a damn thing about it. So uh, I thought it was scary and incredibly fortunate that Jermaine missed and, and only knocked him down and didn't kill him. And then the funny part that's also sad was that afterwards, and I think that's much more publicized, but after the coaches and the players stopped fighting in the locker room, the players, the Pacers players and coaches stopped fighting each other in the locker room. And we got all calmed down and it got quiet. And Ronnie goes, y'all think we're going to get fined for this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. That, that's, that's, that's a true indication of how, where, where his mind was at the, in those days. It wasn't, that's not useful. That's, that's a, that's a, a complete disconnection with reality. Like, come on. You thought that they were just going to go up, running the fan, running through the crowd, unprecedented attacking fans, and, and multiple players doing that. The game has to get canceled. It doesn't even get finished. They ended up just not even running the clock out to get everybody out of the building. And and you're going, do you think all oh, we're going to get fined? Like wow. really? That's, that's that. So it's an attestment. That's a testament of where his mind was in those days. And and back to what I was saying earlier, that's the frustration that we as teammates were like, wow. Wow, he could he could help us win a championship, and that's where his mind is because he doesn't want to address his mental health issues. And, and so when he came out recently and said, oh, "Man, w- would we have won a championship?" and I'm just sitting there going, "You're damn right we would have," you know. And I, and I, again, I don't hold a grudge, but it's just frustrating that he didn't have the perspective then that he does now. And shoot, that's true of all of us, right? I mean, I wish I had the perspective that I have now, but it comes with age. It sure. comes with, with days of trips around the planet, the globe, Terry. And so, you know, we all make mistakes when we're younger, and, and it's just some one of those. That's one of those things. It's just like, wow, that's really where his mind went. <laughs> you mentioned Reggie Miller a couple of moments ago. You you played with some phenomenal shooters in Sacramento, Pacers Stoyakovich. You played with Ray Allen in Boston. Reggie as a shooter 
and I hate to ask you to put him on a list as he the best ever, but was he as good as any shooter you've ever seen in your playing career? Yeah, because it, you knew where the ball was going. Uh, if, if it missed, I knew where Reggie's shots were not going to go, and it was because I spent time rebounding for him. Uh, <clears throat> but one of my favorite things about Reggie is, you know, the, I, as you mentioned, I played with a lot of good shooters from different teams I was on, and sometimes they were like, oh, give me this ball, give me that ball. And I went over to the rack. I was like, Reggie, which one do you want? He goes, make sure it's round. <laughs> he, he didn't right. care. Right. He, you know, and to me, that was the most pure shooter comment that I ever heard directly from any of the people that I played with was, give me a round one. And I'll never forget, I didn't know until we were in a game one time that Reggie doesn't do high fives when he shoots free throws. That's just his thing. It's his thing. He, he, sh- he gets up there, he shoots the ball one-on-one or two shots. First one, you don't go give Reggie a high five. And I went up there, and he was like, God damn it. I said, what? And he goes, well, come here, come here, because he to, had his hands behind his back because he didn't do that. And I go, okay. And I started to walk around. He goes, no, 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 you're here now. Shoot, makes me look like a dick. <laughs> and, so, and so then we high-fived. And he, I, think he made, I think he made the free throw. I, I mean, he shoot, shot 93% or whatever from the free throw line. But, but um, you know, that was one of my favorite memories of him, two of them actually, was, you know, make sure it's round. Uh, and then not, don't give him dap in between free throws. But, um, yeah, it was, it was great rebounding for him, uh, you know, for practice because, yeah, I knew if he was if he was missing, depending on where he was on the court, I knew where it was going for the most part. It, it, he was that consistent of a shooter. Uh, I don't remember anybody else that I rebounded for uh, that it was like that obvious that if he was in the corner, it's coming, it's going to go short and back at him basically. And if he's on top of the key, like you know Ray Allen, when he shoots from the corner, it typically hits the front of the rim towards the middle of the court, and it would go towards that direction. When when Ray missed, it was left right. When Reggie missed from the corner, it was short. Uh, when when Peja missed from anywhere, it typically hit the back of the rim, wherever it was. And so, you know, when you when you're working with a guy and you just know kind of where the ball's going to go, that was that was a fun thing to be able to play with somebody. It's like, oh well, I know where that ball's going, and you go and get it. And that's the type of thing that makes a, a decent rebounder a good rebounder, and a good rebounder a great rebounder. I've always said this about you: 32 years of announcing NBA basketball. And being there for Carl Malone's rookie season all the way up until he retired, I, I don't ever recall anyone, especially on the Kings, that I would 100% say, that was able to defend Carl Malone like you. I thought you always did a great job on him. Talk, uh, to, how good was Carl Malone? Because you used to play against Tim Duncan. You used to play against Webb in practice. You played against, you know, again, the elite power forwards in the NBA, in, including Carl Malone. What was, I don't want to say secret because you didn't stop him, but what what enabled you to defend him as well as you did? You know, the, the, the game that I got in, I, somebody just re- mentioned it on Twitter recently about how I, they were at that game when I finally got in the game with Patrick King against Carl Malone and I had some success against him. And, and I do say that was basically the beginning of my NBA career. My rookie year, I didn't get a whole lot of good minutes, consistent minutes where I felt comfortable on the court. But for whatever reason, I was ready uh, when, when they finally got to me. That was after Chris fouled out or Chris was in foul trouble. Vladi was having trouble foul trouble and then they went to Thunderbird and Thunderbird was too small and then they went to Jerome James the rookie that year and then finally they came down to me <laughs> Rick Adam was like all right whatever your name is Monty. <laughs> and so I went in and and I, I think the thing about Carl it, it just must be that our mindset was kind of the same 
Now, I will fully say and admit that this was at the end of his career. He didn't play a whole lot longer after that. So I didn't get prime Carl Malone. I got 40-year-old Carl Malone. Yeah, you know what? I think you're being too kind here. I think you're being too kind. When the Kings played the uh, the uh, Jazz in the playoffs in those series, I don't know. Carl was still one of the very best in the league. I think you're being too kind, but go ahead. Well, I just I, I just want to admit that, it, like you said, I didn't stop any superstars. I, you know, I, But I did have some success against some of them at times. And it was because of my studying them and their mannerisms and their movements and that kind of stuff. So I'm sitting over there going, Chris should be doing this. And then Funderburg should be doing this. And then Jerome James can't do anything with it. You know, Carl was way too fast for Jerome. Jerome's a rookie. I mean, what's he supposed to do with Carl Malone anyway? And so as I'm watching that, even in that one game, let alone the rest of the games that we had seen the Jazz growing up, or I'd watched them in the playoff final of the year before, or two years before, whatever it was, so, I, you know, I'd had some, some knowledge of watching him and, and his mannerisms. And for whatever reason, I could see him coming. And so when he tried to throw a pass, I was there and I knew where it was coming from. He'd do that backdoor pass over his, uh, around his right hip to, to John Stockton or whoever, Hornacek, whoever was cutting down the lane. I knew that was coming because he wasn't going to throw it in front of me because my left hand was there. And so just little things like that that, that was like, wow, I, I kind of got in his head or, or whatever, just kind of knew his mannerisms. And I think that I was stronger than he thought I was, you know, and uh, I never looked like the strongest guy in the court, but I always knew I was one of the strongest guys in the court. And, and I think that surprised him too. He was thinking, oh, whoever this no-name white guy is coming in here, you know, and I go in there and I body him and he's just like, whoa, that he's not moving, you know, and I think that kind of threw him off as well uh, because I am a lot stronger than I look. So I think, you know, it was a combination of those things that helped me have some success in slowing him down and frustrating him to a certain extent. And then also just the fact that his backup or his 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 front court mate was Greg Ostertag, which makes me feel very comfortable on the court because I played with Greg two years in college. Sure. And I knew Greg very well, and so I could bother Greg quite a bit as well. Greg Ostertag had a long career in the NBA. You played 11 years. If you and Greg were coming out of Kansas today with the way the game is being played, you were a first-round pick in the middle of the first round, how do you think your career would be different? Because, again, it's a three-point shooting game. The big man has been de-emphasized quite a bit. What kind of role do you think you would have if you were coming out of Kansas this year and you were just 21 years old, 22 years old, hopefully getting ready to start an NBA career? First of all, in college, I would never have gotten to 265. I would have, I would have dropped weight down to 245. Then center, uh, I was always very fast for my size. I would have been even faster at a lighter weight. And I would have shot threes in, in college. And so I would have been more like a Kevin Love type player. I'm not saying I would put up numbers like Kevin Love in his early career when he was on a bum team and nobody else could score. So he was doing all the scoring. Right. So you would adapt. You, you're telling me you would adapt to the way the game was played, correct? In other words. The, Absolutely. I, okay. Gotcha. Just, just because I didn't shoot threes in the NBA, it's because I, I played with some of the greatest three-point shooters in the history of the NBA. You know, I knew what I was really, really good at, and I knew what they were not really. Paige is not going to go set a screen to get me open. He's not going to go get my miss if I miss a three-pointer. So how does that help our team win if I'm out there jacking them up next to Paige Stokovic, next to Reggie Miller, next to Ray Allen? Is that helping us win? Is that me, me helping my team be better? Or is it better if I'm just out here, hey, you know what, I'm going to get Ray Allen open and go back, go down and miss. And if he misses that three, I'm going to get an offensive rebound, and that's going to help my team win. You know, and so the way the game is played now, I don't have to worry about those things. If if it's five on zero, it's it's five around the key or the three point line. Then that's how I'm going to play, and I would absolutely. 
absolutely have adapted. I could shoot threes. Like I said, I just didn't because I was shoot in college. I played with Billy Thomas. I played with Jock Vaughn, Jared Hass, Ray Fafrens. I mean, Ryan Robertson. These guys all played in the NBA. We're all incredible shooters. Why would I try to take shots away from them when I'm way better than they are at setting screens, getting rebounds, blocking shots? And so I did what I did to the best of my level. But when I'd go back and play summer league basketball against the young guys at Kansas, you know, I'd come down, dribble the ball down the court and shoot a three. And they're like, whoa, I didn't know you could do that. It's like, yeah, for the exact reasons I just said to you, Grant. And so you find a role that sticks. If I had, in, in my time, if I had tried to shoot threes, I probably wouldn't have lasted 11 years in the NBA but because of all those things I just mentioned. If I'm out there jacking up threes and Doc Rivers is going, hey, um, why are you shooting a three when Ray Allen was open in the corner? Well, I can shoot threes, coach. You know, that's a dumb response in my era. Now it's like, well, yeah, why didn't you shoot it from the logo on the court? Well, because, you know, I wasn't open. The guy was within 10 feet of me. <laughs> you know, sure. the game is just different now. And so it, it's it's absolutely something that I honestly believe I would have adapted and just had a different body type and a different playing style to match the way the game is played now. There's a lot of ways to break it down and, and make the case for being a good role player as opposed to being a bad role player. And I was a good role player. College basketball, to me, the beauty of it is the atmosphere at the games. I was so honored to be with you uh, at a Kansas game two years ago. I've had a chance to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium. I used to work in Champaign, Illinois, and covered the Big Ten for a couple of years. The other night, I'm watching college basketball, and I'm watching Alabama, who, by the way, is very good this year, go into Rupp Arena and win by 20 points. On the same night, I see Kansas lose to an unranked team in Oklahoma State, although that's at Oklahoma State. What impact do you think? Because I'm seeing some really weird scores this year in college basketball. Do you put that on these kids playing in empty arenas where there's no atmosphere, or is there more parity in college basketball now? Oh, it's absolutely that the, there's no atmosphere. I mean, especially for the, the, the players now, the freshmen coming in, Maybe they went to high schools that had great college or great programs where there was lots of fans there all the time, and maybe not. But for freshmen, it's hard in a blue blood program like Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, et cetera, Duke, because you're going in and you're playing in front of a huge crowd and you're on national TV. So for freshmen, it's a little bit more of an adjustment. For, but for these guys that have been there, and I think Kansas is a, a team that's got sophomores, juniors, and seniors on the team. Marcus Garrett's been there for a while, and Mitch Lightfoot's been there for 14 years. He's going to get the Perry Ellis Ward of longevity. But, <laughs> sure, you know, playing not in front of that crowd. I mean, Kansas lost to Texas at home by, well, I think it was the widest margin Texas ever beat Kansas, ever. And so, and they're a good team, don't get me wrong. Shaka Smart is a great coach. I have a ton of respect for him. One of the few coaches that I really, really think is a shooting star and still. I mean, he's been a coach for a while now, but I still think he's an incredible coach. And so I, I do absolutely think it's more atmosphere. I don't think it's parity. Parity has been there the last few years, but the weird scores are 100%. There's no reason Kansas goes to Oklahoma State and, and loses that game. If the, because it, it works both ways. You can get fired up because the opposing crowd hates you. You know, and it gets your adrenaline going. When you're going in and it's just like piped-in noise and it's a, basically a summer league game or or just even a pickup game in the off season. I don't know how anybody, even the NBA players, I don't know how they're getting hyped up for this stuff. It, it's weird. I always played in front of big crowds, not bragging, just that was how it was. My high school gyms were packed. My college gymnasiums were packed on the home and at ro- on the road. And, and all the NBA teams I was on were in the playoffs except for my rookie year. So – we were always, I always was lucky to play on good teams that had 
huge crowds all the time. And so I don't, it's hard for me to try to picture getting ready for an NBA game, going out and having those speakers going, ah, yay. And, and nobody's sure. talking trash to you and nobody's calling out your name specifically, whether it's good or bad on the road or at home. So I, I absolutely 100% believe that these weird college basketball scores are not a result of Oklahoma State just finding a way to beat Kansas. I think it's Kansas laying an egg in an empty gym. San Diego, California, living there, going to school there, and hanging out at the Walton's house. What was that like? <laughs> well, when I was living with the Waltons, I was I was living with the boy's mother, who was Bill's ex-wife. And so most of the time, I would I would when I was crashing at people's houses, I, was, I don't use the term, but I was kind of homeless in, in high school for a time. After my dad died, my mom had moved up to the state of Washington to live with my oldest brother. And so I was kind of bumming around with friends, you know, whoever had some time, a space for me, that's where I'd, I'd go. And so one of those people that took me in was the Walton family, Susie Walton and the boys. So I got to know them uh, very well. And then, yeah, once in a while, we'd go to see Bill's house. I mean, dude's got a teepee in his backyard. Like a <laughs> Come on. Teepee. No, I'm not joking. And he sleeps in there regularly. Not all the time. But, I mean, they, they were like, oh, yeah, he comes out here and he'll sleep in his teepee in his backyard. And uh, Balboa Park is an amazing portion of San Diego. It's beautiful. It's down by the, by the zoo. It, it is an incredibly beautiful area. And the temperature is wonderful in San Diego, as we all know. It's, you know, I can imagine wanting to sleep outside in a teepee away from the, the bears and the mountain lions. Oh, yeah, those don't exist down there. I mean, really, you're, you're battling sand fleas is pretty much your biggest predator out there. Uh, or ants, because there is ants out there, outside. I'm trying to think of anything else that would be, you know, little rodents maybe. But otherwise, you're you're not worried about any big, you know, big game animals in a developed place like that to, to come and get you. So, yeah, going outside and sleeping in your teepee once in a while as an adult, maybe not that weird in San Diego. In Indiana, it's a hell of a lot more weird. <laughs> it's freezing cold here. Right. You but, know, so you didn't have a lot of interaction with Bill? It was mostly with Luke and the boys? It was mostly with Adam. Adam was more my age. He's the oldest. And then Nate was the second oldest. And Luke was a, was only like 12 or so at the time. And they always talked about him. And then Chris was the youngest. They called him Tuffy. But Luke was, was the one they were like, dude, he can do anything. He's going to be special. Like, he can play. Like, Adam was big. Nate was really smart. He ended up going to Princeton. And I, I've lost touch with them. I don't, I don't know what they're up to now. But Luke, they, they even said it, the brothers. And, and so, but yeah, I went down and I met Bill's brother one time was at his house. <laughs> I didn't know he was like my family where all his siblings were just his size as well. I mean, Bill's brother was just a big old mountain man looking dude. I, I, it was, it was impressive to see. It was like being at a Pollard family reunion. And so, but m my interactions with the Walton family were mostly with Susie and the boys. And then occasionally we'd go visit Bill at his place and, and walk through his museum and, and <laughs> his museum of a home. It, it just definitely was, eccentric to say the least you now have your real estate license your wife is going to join you in this endeavor but you've been doing it for a while and you now have your own agency correct how's that going what made you get into real estate well actually my wife and i went to class in 2018 and then like two days into the class tnt called and said hey can you come do the the final four for kansas and i was like oh all right well we'll cancel real estate sure school. Uh, we went down and I did the final four when they did the team cast thing because Kansas was in it. So I did the, the Kansas team cast. Uh, and then there just wasn't a time where we found that both of us could finally go back to go to class. So I went 
she found time in the schedule and blocked out a bunch of stuff for me uh, to have time to, to do it because she does do a lot of my scheduling for my appearances and requests and all that kind of stuff. So she kind of was like, all right, here, there's three weeks. You can get back into that class and get it done. And now that's what I've done. I've kind of made some arrangements because, again, it's a slow time of the year right now. And so I've kind of blocked out some time for her to go do it because uh, she's a lot smarter than I am. She's a lot better at dealing with people than I am. I'm doing very well. I'm a multi-million dollar producer. I know this is in LA, so like one house. I, I've sold more than one house. But anyway, I've done very well. And my partner and I, Joe Kempler is my partner. He's the reason I got with him in the first place. I interviewed a lot of different companies when I got my license. And I felt like he, he and I had a connection. He was nearing retirement. I think I've kind of coaxed him into staying around for a few more years. He just turned 70 and he doesn't have to work anymore. So we make a good team on that point of view because we feel like neither one of us has to do this. We both are like, hey, we like helping people and we enjoy doing what we do. And, and that's not working, is it? That's having fun and making money on the side. You know, it's, it's one of those things. You know, if you find something you love doing, you never work a day in your life. That's a stupid phrase. I think it's overused. But in my case right now, I have to say it's the actual fact. I don't feel like this is work. I really enjoy helping people. So right now, I'm in a good place. I think I could handle maybe five or six more transactions a year. And then that, then at that point, I would have to look at maybe hiring somebody uh, because I don't want to be unable to be a family man. I don't want to be so taken by this by this job that I'm not a, around for my children and able to take trips once in a while when when the world opens up again. And so... Don joining is, is bringing, she's, she's already been some of our marketing already because she's been helping out with marketing. So we've got a photo shoot with her. We're getting business cards made. She hasn't taken the class yet. She hasn't passed the test yet, but she has been involved in business already. But, you know, if I had a choice between working between, with me or with my wife, I, I would choose my wife too. So, so would I, I Scott. So would I, buddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think that's most people. Yep. I'm probably going to lose all my clients with her. Okay, it's, uh, not only is she smarter, but she's a lot more gentle and, and a wonderful person to deal with. <laughs> hey, as long as the money goes into the joint checking account, who cares? It's all you're all you're all you're, you're one you're one family, right? So whatever works. She owns the real estate company. She's actually the fifty one percent owner of uh, <laughs> hey, the Realty LLC. I love so, it. Uh, we're gonna keep Mama happy. But, I love um, it. We're excited about it. I, I like I said, I've been this is my third year. Uh, I wish I had done it 10 years ago, right after I retired, because it truly is something that you can get into and and really have some success when you work hard. I believe that it has been one of those businesses that the more you put into it, the more you get out. And it's been very easy to notice that. Work ethic does count in this profession. It's not one of those things where it's like, okay, well, I worked so hard, I got to the top level in, in my profession, and I can't get promoted anymore. Real estate is not like that. And so it's been exciting for me to learn more about it and become proficient. We've done a podcast. We've got a, a website out now that has all of our podcasts we recorded to help people choose an agent, learn, you know, staging techniques or what are you, what, are, what is this contract? Why would I need a warranty? And so that's on westclayrealtours.com. That's westclayrealtours.com. Our website's up and running. It shows our current listings, shows what we've sold in the past. It gives you a little bit about Joe, myself and my wife, Dawn. And so we're, we're kind of up and moving and, and getting ready for the, the rush that will be happening in the next month or two. Final thing for you. If you could go back and play only one game, would you choose the loss to Arizona when you were at Kansas? And I think you guys had the best roster. I think you had the best players in college basketball and they won the national championship. Or would you choose game seven at home, the loss to the Lakers? Oh, it's, it's Kansas because – 
the, the loss to the Lakers, I was having a good game, and I, I feel a lot better about that one personally. It hurt almost as bad, but I was having a good game. So personally, I feel better about that loss, even though it was the end of, of the run to me uh, by the Sacramento Kings until, well, still going. But the, the loss at Kansas, I was having a terrible game. I was in foul trouble. I only played like two minutes in the second half, and I was in foul trouble. And so I would absolutely play that game over, uh, knowing that if I had played a full game, we win, and we go on to win the national championship because we were the best team. We were number one from start to finish. We had four first-round draft choices in our starting five. I mean, we that all played over 10 years in the NBA. I mean, that was an incredibly talented team that we just had one bad night, and absolutely, had I not had a bad night, uh, again, I'm patting myself on the back here, but when one of your starting big men only plays about 14 minutes in a 40-minute game, you're at a disadvantage. And so I think had I played a normal game, we win that game. It is so awesome to be able to have you on the podcast again, man. Um, Catch up with you. And what's the temperature uh, in Carmel, Indiana right now? (laughs) Last I checked, it was about an hour ago. I think it's 34 feels like 28. Yay. So, so we're not recording this as you're sitting on the patio having a stogie. Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) No, I actually, I, I got another, box of cigars mailed the other day. I was like, oh, it's going to be up in the 40s next week, huh? And then it hasn't. So, yeah, I've got some sitting here that I'm like, I don't want to put gloves and a hat and a parka on to go outside so I can smoke a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm tropical, man. I need I need warm weather. So we're, we're, we've got a trip planned for spring break, uh, but that's a few months away. So we're just kind of gotten it out here in Indiana. So can't argue it's it's uh it actually has turned into one of my favorite places to live it's vote, the city we live in carmel was voted two years in a row the best place to raise a family that's great in the country what a great uh, you're, you're lucky that i tell you i really enjoyed my time when i visited what a great area you got a great area i mean you know the weather is the weather and there's nothing you can do about it but you're you're in a great spot man i'll just say this i wish 40 minutes uh, went this quick when i was in math and history class growing up okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I miss history class. I love <laughs> history, but you know, hey, math. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> All right, big way. boy. I always appreciate it, man. Love you. Say, uh, give my uh, best to your wife, and uh, we'll chat soon. All right, buddy. Love you. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's uh, Scott Pollard. Good stuff right there. Really enjoyed that. You enjoyed it as much as I did. Today's show is also brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineer tools for your family jewels. And I want to tell you about their engineering team because they have perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. And they've just released a new and improved lawnmower 3.0. Now their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. And when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. And the waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. Folks, you're going to love it. And one of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming experience. Folks, right now, all right, you can get this phenomenal, phenomenal Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. All right, I'm going to get you now to crowd question each and every podcast. 
I answer some questions. All you need to do is go to crowdquestion.com and maybe I'll answer your question right here on the podcast. Ferrari says, Grant, I'm a huge Raiders fan. I see Coors Light has a campaign now to get Tom Flores into the Hall of Fame. I love Tom, but it is ridiculous and a joke that Cliff Branch is not on the Hall. Who are your top five players not in the NFL Hall of Fame? Also, is Coors Light only doing this for Tom or are they doing this for any other players? I don't know about the Coors Light campaign, so I can't really talk to that. And I, I, I don't have time to give you my list, but I will answer the question. I do think that uh, Cliff Branch should be in the Hall of Fame. I have always thought that. And Tom's won two Super Bowls. Um, I, I think they're both deserving. But yeah, I'm with you on Cliff Branch. I think you make a really good point right there. Uh, ben wants to know, were you surprised by Ohio State's poor performance against Bama? I was at the game. No, I was not surprised. I, I did not think the game would be competitive. I thought Alabama was far superior. I also thought that Ohio State, they put so much into beating Clemson because of what had happened the previous year. I think it took a little bit out of them, but uh, that was complete domination. Ohio State did not belong on the same football field as Alabama. So was I surprised? Not really. Not really. Martin wants to know, has Harden become one of the biggest cancers in the NBA history after saying his team isn't good enough? Uh, Go and listen to my rant yesterday, and I think that will answer your question. Someone wants to know, do you think Roethlisberger is done after that bad beat? David, thank you for the question. He's at the very tail end of his career. I don't think there's any question about that. Sal wants to know, what do you think of suspending the NBA season instead of having it destroyed by positive test and contact tracing? Sal, I think that's pretty close to having the season suspended. I think we're within a few games more of being suspended, and you might see the NBA take a seven or 14-day break. Brandon wants to know, what was it like being able to attend a live sporting event? You know, I went to the game for this reason. I met some phenomenal people from Alabama this past weekend, and they were so hospitable and generous. I couldn't say no to them. When they offered me a ticket, that's number one. Number two, I've never been to Hard Rock Stadium, and I wanted to see it. But it was just like it's um, when there's only 15,000 people at the game, it takes a lot of the luster and flavor out of the game. It was very odd. It was very weird. Um, So it did not – it wasn't even close to having a championship feel. Not even close. All right. uh, This question from Stacy. Hey, Grant, I'm a longtime fan. Happy you started a podcast. I'm wondering if you have any good travel advice from your time with the Kings. Thanks for all you do. Well, as far as travel advice, Stacey, I mean, we fly on charter aircraft all the time with the Kings. However, my travel advice is if you're traveling internationally, don't ever go on a domestic carrier. Always go on a foreign carrier. You're going to have a much better experience. That's number one. Uh, Number two, Uh, I I think there are so many great travel sites out there to help you with your lodging. Uh, TripAdvisor is one that I swear by and I use all the time, and there are others. Uh, But if you're going to travel outside the United States when we're allowed to, when the pandemic ends or whatever, uh, you know, experience some of the foreign airlines. Singapore Airlines and Emirates Airlines every single year are ranked as the top two airlines in the world. I highly recommend flying on either of those uh, airlines. They're just a spectacular experience. There are many other good ones as well. Uh, But if you can go on an international carrier, the actual flight, I think you're going to have a better experience. Uh, As far as advice, doesn't take long to do research. There are so many great travel websites out there. Uh, and also the points guy, uh, I follow him. I've gotten to know him. I've had him on the, the show. 
His name's Brian Kelly. Uh, he's got a great business. Uh, you can go on Twitter, The Points Guy, uh, or you can go to thepointsguy.com. I would highly recommend uh, doing that. All right? Hey, thanks for all the questions. And remember, if you want to ask me a question, just go and sign up. It takes about a minute. Just go to crowdquestion.com. It's time for Rant. Rant. Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Locally owned for 20 years for all of your plumbing needs and repairs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. And remember, their expert technicians are available 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Again, that's newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. So for my rant today, I thought we would have some fun. So I put out on social media, give me your rants, and I picked two individuals that are going to go head-to-head. And uh, I want to introduce right now to the podcast, Zach. Zach, it's uh, awesome. I like your rant idea. How you doing, man? Doing pretty well, doing pretty well. How about you, Grant? I'm doing good. So this is Zach, the NBA guru, Zach. That's who I'm talking to? Yes, sir. The infamous NBA guru, Zach. I'm back. I love it. Tell me what you think of the uh, James Harden trade to Brooklyn. Oh, wow. The James Harden trade. I mean, I guess it was coming for this whole season. It was a mess in Houston. We'll see if. I don't know what's going on with Kyrie. If he's coming back to play, uh, if they're fully healthy, the Nets look like a championship contender. So they, they gave up a lot, though. They gave up a lot of future stuff, a lot of picks. So they kind of took away their future. for. But if they can get a couple rings out of it, then it's going to be worth it. All right. So you, I liked your rant idea. Okay. So are you ready to go? You all ready to give me a rant? Yeah, let's do that. All right, right, let's go. Here is Zach, one of the winners. We'll see if he ends up being the champion. Go ahead, buddy. The floor is yours. All right, so the NBA is being pretty selective with the COVID protocols recently. It's not consistent at all. We got the Boston Wizards game, for example. A week ago, Bradley Beal talking to Tatum for one minute. All of a sudden, Bradley Beal's in protocol because Tatum was with COVID positive. I mean, it doesn't make sense how he was the only one that that got into protocols but not the entire Wizards team. I'm pretty sure they all played 48 minutes with Jason Tatum on the floor, and they were sweating all over and playing defense on them, but they're not out. All right, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. Pretty sure they're playing with all the same basketball. It just it doesn't make sense. Bradley Beal was only out for like one game, two. This whole COVID protocol, it's been sloppy. It's been messy. It doesn't make any sense. They have all these infectious disease specialists for every team. They still don't know what they're doing. Absolutely ridiculous. They just got to be more consistent. They got to throw out the rules better to each team, each player, and just be consistent. I guess you can play defense on a guy for 48 minutes, swing all over him, and touch him the same basketball. But if you give a guy a handshake, you're going to be in a protocol for a week. All right, Zach, we now move on to John, who joins us here on the podcast, if you don't like that. And hey, John, thank you so much for checking out the podcast and responding via Twitter. I love your rant idea. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Grant. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's great. You're a big Kings fan. You're a big 49ers fan. Gosh, I was just talking to a buddy about this yesterday. In the NFL, just think about almost a year ago where the Niners were, right on the cusp of winning a Super Bowl, and then this year, injuries galore. Where are you at with the Niners right now? Do you think they'll be right back near the top of the NFC next year if they get their players back and are healthy? What do you think about Garoppolo? Oh, well, it's unbelievable, Grant. I mean, we took a trip to, you know, your hometown, home city, and all of a sudden all our players are gone. What do you know? You know, <laughs> right. uh, 
But yeah, I think if you watch the the Ram Seahawks game, I don't we're not far off at all from from those two teams, and we beat the Rams twice this year with backup quarterbacks and without Bosa, without a lot of our without Debo Samuel, a lot of our main players. I think even if you throw Jimmy in there, we're still right at the top of the NFC. Not to mention if we dra- my route would be drafting a young quarterback because I don't think Jimmy. G is the answer long term, but I don't think you go out and t- and spend all that money on a huge quarterback when we have all these other areas of the team we need to address and resign. All right, well, good job right there. All right, so the reason why I picked you, I really liked your rant idea. Are you ready to go? I'm ready right. to go. All I'm right. fired up. I, I have inspiration good. from you. Let's go. All right, all right, here we go. Here's John with his rant. Go ahead, buddy. Well, let's talk about Juju. Smith Schuster. This guy could not stop dancing on the other team's emblem. What is that about? First of all, the absolute disrespect it takes. If you flash back to Terrell Owens doing that on the star, he got shellacked when the game wasn't even started or when the game wasn't even in play. And then you look at Juju doing it before the game and what happens? He gets absolutely pummeled by the Cincinnati Bengals. He has no a game whatsoever to speak of. And you know what? He deserved that. He got pummeled. And then you look at him, and what does he say? Going into a playoff game where your team's not even playing well, you start off 11-0, and you crap the bed, and then you play against your division rival who's hungry, who hasn't been to the playoffs since I was a kid, and then you say, what? The Browns is the Browns. Well, let me tell you something, Grant. The Browns ain't the Browns anymore. Not with Kevin Stefanski at the helm. Not with Baker Mayfield playing the way he is. The Browns ain't the Browns anymore. And what do they do? They come out and they punch you right in the mouth. Why are you going to say that when you're going into a playoff game against a city and against a team that is hungry as hell? They already have enough motivation. And how selfish... You have to be to call out a team when they already want to punch you in the mouth, and then you give them added motivation. What is that about? And then, what, he goes out and has a good good game, Grant? Sure, he had a lot of receptions, a lot of yards, but they were playing down, and Ben Roethlisberger threw over 50 times. So, of course, you're going to have a lot of yards. How selfish of Juju. How about this? Put your laces on, lease up your cleats, and play the damn game, would you? Stop talking, stop dancing, play the game. I love that, man. That's a great rant from uh, John right there. And so I appreciate Zach. I appreciate John. Give me your feedback, man. Hit me up on social media, at Grant Napier Show. You like Zach's rant? Do you like John's rant? I'm going to give you my vote right now. I'm going with John. I thought it was good. Zach, I appreciate you too, buddy. But I'm, I'm going to pick John, but tell me what you think. Again, at Grant Napier Show, John or Zach. Hey, folks, thank you so much for joining me. My thanks to Scott Pollard. My thanks to everyone from Crowd Question with those great questions. My thanks to Zach and John. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. If you don't like that, with Grant Napier. 